This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. I, um, I'm not sure what, what was going on. Maybe just not, I don't want to say not ready, but just maybe trying to force it too much, not using our legs. A big part of our team and uh, how we have success is, is by skating, and I don't think we're doing that. It was really disappointing. thought the boys were ready, but it was clearly... Uh... A lot of bad habits that we've had as a team at times during the year we just came flooding out not only in the first a lot of the second too I mean, we got better in the second but yeah, it was it was tough to watch you're not going to win nhl games doing what we did all right well that was a bit of an unfortunate result yesterday at amelie arena we had talked about the red wings being a improved team and at least through the first two periods they might have been the better team against the tampa bay lightning last night the lightning were really good in the third, but too little too late. And as a result, the Lightning drop to the Red Wings. Derek Lalonde's return to Amelie Arena. Jeff Blasio also going against his former team. We'll talk about it for the next hour. He is Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Linnelli, along with Steve Erstnick. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, if you want to. And, partner, sometimes there are going to be games like that. We acknowledge it. Uh, you don't like it when it does happen. It's amazing how a game takes on a, a different life. The first two periods weren't great. The third period, a lot better. But the Red Wings did enough through those first two periods to hold on for uh, two points in probably what they consider a pretty important game. Well, the teams are tied now in the standings, and and regular listeners to our show know that I don't get too focused on where the Lightning are in the standings relative to other teams. I'm more looking at where the Lightning are as far as their their points pace. And both teams are doing well and on pace to make the playoffs, and they very well may, in fact, make the playoffs. But if you are looking at the standings, Detroit came in two points behind the Lightning with the same number of games played, and they enter play tonight. Neither team is playing tonight, but they enter the, the schedule heading into tonight tied for third place in the Atlantic division. So be that as it may. The Red Wings are improved. I was especially impressed with Kopp and Kubalik. Now, I know they played on separate lines, but they were really impressive last night. Kubalik is a former 30-goal scorer with Chicago, and then as the Hawks, I guess he scored 30 goals when they were still missing the playoffs, but... He kind of fell out of favor there and and was less impactful. He might have been their most dynamic offensive player last night. He had an assist on the Rasmussen goal that made it one nothing. I was very impressed with Cop, but we know what he can bring from what he did in the playoffs last year. And and I thought their best defenseman, Greg, was not Cider, which kind of if you look at their stats this year, this guy has been kind of driving the bus on the blue line for them, and that was Horonic. Yeah. Horonic was really good last night. Now, the Wings played well as a team as well. What I'm saying is, though, that they have some players that were very noticeable last night, and that's a good sign for Detroit. They also defended really hard, at least through two periods. And I think they were really motivated to try and get this win for their head coach might have been a factor because they've had other games where they haven't defended as well. We mentioned they've given them eight goals in two separate games this year. So that's the mark of a team that's trying to find its way. But last night they had a really good performance. Yeah. The Lightning's 
takeaway from, from last night's game was focused mostly on the first period, with good reason. They were very bad in the first period. Their puck management was sloppy, and their D-zone coverage was horrendous. That's why they gave up so many scoring chances in the first period. The Red Wings had 12 shots, which is, I say, a medium amount, maybe even medium low for a team that, that was as dangerous as they were. But of their 12 shots on net, and then there was a 13th attempt that hit the post, and that was Heronic, actually, who, who hit the post. Or was it Osterley? It was Osterley who hit the I post. I think it was Osterley, yeah. Yeah. Of the 12 shots on net, Greg, I'd say like nine were good to great scoring chances. That's how leaky the Lightning were defensively. That was the takeaway that we heard from the Lightning players and coaches after the game. But the interesting thing was it was still a tied game after one period. It was 0-0. The problem for the Lightning is that their poor play bled into the first two minutes of the second. And that's when they gave up the open look to Rasmussen and he scored to make the game one nothing. And at that point, I thought the, the temperature of the game changed. I wrote in my extra shift that I thought this game had three distinct parts. The first part was the first period plus the first two minutes of the second. And the Lightning were really bad defensively, and they only had one line going at that point. And it was the line that would not stay together, but it was their best line. It was Sorelli, Nemestikov, and Maroon. They were really the only line doing anything in the first 22 minutes of the game for the Lightning. Once the Wings got the lead, the Lightning did improve defensively. They didn't give as many shots. They didn't give as many scoring chances. They didn't turn the puck over as much. But their problem was that the Red Wings were digging in defensively. So I would say the last 18 minutes of the second period was a whole lot of nothing. There really wasn't much happening for either team. The best chance the Lightning had was when they were shorthanded late in the period and Nick Paul hit the post. That was basically it. So that was the kind of the second segment or phase of the game. And then the final phase, of course, was the third period. And the Lightning threw everything at Vili Husso. I mean, 30 shots in the period. They outshot the Red Wings 30-7. to Attempts in the third period were 39-12 to Lightning. So they only had nine attempts that did not go on net, which is a very yeah. good percentage <laughs> as well. And of their 30 shots, they had a ton of scoring chances. The problem was that they were down, first of all. And on the one shift Detroit had fairly early in the period, well, the one shift they had throughout the third period in which they applied any kind of sustained pressure, and it came early in the period, they scored on a tip. Now it's 2 nothing, And that was a big goal because when Stampco scores the sixth attacker goal, instead of tying the game at one, they were still down by one. And then the teams traded goals with, with Vasilevsky on the bench. Lightning got one more sixth attacker goal, and the Wings scored two empty netters. So your final was four to two. So you come out of that game, and you're the Lightning, and and your takeaways are, I think, twofold. Number one, we were not good enough defensively with our puck management. We were we were downright bad in in those categories early in the game, and it did affect us in that we fell behind early in the second. And then the third period, our level of urgency was higher than it had been in the first two periods. And, look, it's hard to play that way for a full 60, as you've often said, Greg. But had we seen even just 
a smidge more urgency in the first two periods, close to what we saw in the third, the Lightning would have given themselves a much better chance to come out of this game with at least one point. But they didn't. So credit the Wings. They had a great start. They got the lead. They defended hard. And then they leaned on their goalie. And they made a play in the third period to, to give themselves a really important insurance goal. I think you're right. And I think, you know, one of the things we discussed yesterday with Detroit and a lot of these teams who are knocking on the door to maybe being really competitive this year in the East is just what kind of goaltending are you going to get? They got that good goaltending last night. And we dedicated a decent amount to that topic Mm -hmm. on the show yesterday. I was impressed with him. I also thought Vassie was really good, too. I know Phil. He was. You you and Phil talked about this. I mean, the Kubelik breakaway, he had two cracks at that. And how often do you see that in a game? So I thought Vassie was was really good. Not a surprise. But I think for John Cooper, the slow start, he'll be asking himself the question, and it's it's probably going to be more of it's what we didn't do than what Detroit did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he'll probably ask the question, why did we get off to a rough start? What, and, and what that's did really, we do? Yeah, and that's really more process than result. It is result because the Lightning fell behind as a result of their bad start because they gave the goal early in the second. But you still have, what, 38 minutes to get a goal. You're only down one. So it didn't have an outsized impact on like the Red Wings jumping out to a 4 nothing lead. They could have jumped out to a 4 nothing lead, if not for Vasilevsky. I think what John Cooper was upset about was how the Lightning played. Not what the score was right. after 22 minutes. Because mm-hmm. they were in, in okay shape to come back in that game. It just didn't unfold that way. But he doesn't want to see that sort of play bleeding into tomorrow night's game. No. A game that is not going to have Ryan McDonough, correct? Right. So you add that element of not dealing with the emotions there. We'll see how the Lightning respond. If you want to react to what you saw last night, you can. At Volts Radio. Hit us up there on Twitter. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. It's funny. You look at the box score last night. See some crooked numbers there in the shot department. How many shots did Perbix have? <laughs> well, when you like, have when you have thirty, sorry, what, thirty shots in the third and forty-five yeah. for the game, you're going to have you're some gonna high have shot some. totals, yeah. right? But I mean, it's it was not for a lack of effort from that standpoint. And you know, I actually thought when Point scored his goal, I thought they were going to find a way to tie it. Yeah, I did. Doesn't mean that it takes away from how they played. But, you know, the, the pulling of the goalie, I, I find to be an interesting topic for a lot of people. When to pull, especially if you're down by multiple goals. But mm-hmm. it almost worked for John Cooper. I mean, he pulled Vassy with, what, five and a half? Is that basically when he pulled the goaltender the yeah. first time? Well, the Stamkos <laughs> goal came with 5.08 left, right off the yeah. faceoff, basically. But, yeah, about five and a half. Bill yeah. didn't like that move. He thought it was too early. Then when they scored, he said, well, I was wrong about that. Yeah. But then they pulled Vassie again, again fairly early, and that was when they gave up the first empty net goal. Ernie's empty net goal to make it 3-1 to one came with 3 minutes and 38 seconds left. And you said, as you said last night, that was the game winner, wasn't it? Yeah, it's weird <laughs> to see an empty net or be the game winner. It yeah. happens sometimes, not often, obviously. It's when the team that gave up the empty net scores a subsequent goal later. 
so the difference in the game is is the empty netter essentially in this case there were two empty netters phil's point though was that if you've got nothing going and you're down a couple of goals and there's five and a half minutes left maybe you do pull the goalie but he felt that they were doing a lot of good things five on five which they were but it's a fair point it worked yeah they got the goal to pull to within one. And the point yeah. goal, like you felt they were going to tie it, the point goal came with two minutes and 26 seconds left. So they had time. Yeah, they did. That's a lot of time still in hockey. Yeah. You know? You know, it was interesting. You mentioned the first period. There was a stretch there where, and I think John Cooper pointed out the Nemestikov line. He was in tight. Maroon made a play to throw the puck in front. And then Hedman, if you recall, Dave, had the puck at the right point and kind of knifed his way in and got on a really hard shot. And again, that was like around the nine and a half minute mark. We talked about the poor start. That was a good shift, mm-hmm. good couple of shifts where there were some dangerous looks. And who knows what happens if you score in that moment? Does it change the complexion of that first a- game? Because then we saw, you know, Kubelik get the breakaway. He had two cracks out of those around like the 545 mark. And then, of course, the second period, Rasmussen with the goal uh, to give his team a one nothing lead. But there was a moment there in the first period where the Lightning had some decent zone time. It was their bottom six. And, you know, they generated some, some decent looks. Couldn't, couldn't get it there. And I think Detroit regrouped a bit and did a nice job over the next 40 minutes to dictate terms a bit. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. That well, look, you're right. The one line that did anything – in terms of generating pressure, lightning at an early power play, and Kucherov had a good shot on that. But five on he five did. in the first period, the one line that was driving play for the lightning was Sorelli, Maroon, and Nemetsnikov. Yeah. But because the lightning during that stretch in the second period really weren't doing much, they weren't giving up much, but they weren't generating much, and they were down, John Cooper did switch up the lines in the third period, so that line didn't exist anymore. And other than the Belmar Colton Perry line, the mm-hmm. other three lines were all mixed up and it worked. It worked. It didn't work to the extent that they won the game or came back and got a point, but it worked in that it sparked them. And I don't know that we're going to see a continuation of that tomorrow. Coop usually shuffles the deck and then I'd say more often than not, he goes back to the way the lines had been. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Right. But you had Sorelli with Point and Hagel. You had Stamkos with Kucherov and Domestikov, and they have been a line in years past. And then you had Paul Kalorn and Maroon. So on each of the lines, two of the guys stayed together except for the Stamkos. Stamkos, Kucherov, and Nemetsikov, one guy from each line was taken yeah. to, to form a line. But Point and Hagel stayed together with Sorelli, and Paul and Kalorn stayed together with Maroon. And all four lines generated chances. I mean, Braden Point had nine shots. <laughs> and I don't have the second intermission report here because I don't, I don't keep the – in between period reports maybe i should start doing that to see i mean you could go through the play-by-play but that's kind of annoying or you could look at the shot chart i guess but i would say probably six to seven of those shots came in the third period and he scored in the third period you had sorelli with eight 
Some of those came in the first because he was involved in, in that good activity that his line had. You yeah. mentioned Perbix. Perbix had six shots. So Lightning changed the D pairs, too, except for Cole and Chernak. That happened earlier in the game, and maybe that was a reaction to some of the chances they were giving up. But Sergachev moved to a unit with Bogosian. They were a pair, and Perbix played with Hedman, and I thought they were a good pair. They haven't played together yet this year. That was one reason why Perbix, I think, was so active. Maybe it wasn't only that he was playing with Hedman. But he was very noticeable yeah. in being involved. You think it brought something out in him playing with a guy Maybe. Like I don't know. Yeah. That's one we may see carry over to tomorrow. Of course, Hayden Fleury is now, I think he's, he's close to being healthy if he's not fully healthy because he did participate in the skate yesterday along with Cal Foote. So we'll see if those two guys are, are sitting out again tomorrow. But if they are, or if they are, do you think we see Perbix Headman as another experimentation pair where you have the righty-lefty, which we know is important to the Lightning coaches. You'd have they three, like that? three pairs with the righty-lefty combos. Look, they like that. So I think if it makes sense, they'll go back to it. Yeah. I think they will. And then from there, we kind of see how things transpire. This one comes from Doug. He said, guys, when a coach switches up line combinations in a game, how do you think the players react to it? Well, if they, they've played it all for John Cooper for any length of time, and just about everybody on the roster has, even the guys who arrived last year at the deadline, and then you're, and yeah. I'm talking about the forwards here, Nemestikov has played for Cooper. They're used to it. Remember one time Kalorn said that, you know, he always looked at it as a good thing as far as laying the groundwork for maybe later in the year in the playoffs, where. You know, he might be getting a chance to play like last night with Maroon, let's say. Maybe later down the road, he's going right. to play with Maroon again. So now he's had a chance to, to already play with him. I think if you're a coach who never switches the lines, never is a strong word. Switching the lines is an extremely rare occurrence, and it happens all of a sudden within a game. That might affect the players who aren't used to it under that head coach more right. and I think the players who have played for the Lightning under Coop understand that this is part of the deal it's pretty incredible when you think about not too long ago switching lines wasn't something that happened a ton I mean you take a look at some of the great lines mm -hmm. that we've seen over the last 20 30 years the Legion of Doom you know you had uh, Lemieux Francis and Yager I mean that's a no-brainer in many ways but there are just certain lines Dave where you don't, you don't tinker. And Phil, you know, would probably tell you that when he played, that wasn't something that happened a ton of either. No, Hodge so, and Cashman were his wingers. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, it, it's something that I, I always find it interesting because I think when the game is as close in talent as it is today, you're looking for any type of edge, potentially, in a game. And how can a coach make an impact in a game? Well, you know, some of it's X's and O's. There's some strategy involved, for sure. But I think probably the biggest thing you can do is give your team a little life when they don't have it. Yeah. And I think John Cooper, we talked about this yesterday, probably does that as well as anybody. But I, I, I think it's just a way to keep guys fresh, too, kind of keep things interesting. Because Kalorn's right. You get in the playoffs. If Kalorn has to go play with Maroon, or let's say Kalorn goes and plays with Kucherov, you know, maybe it's not 
so foreign to them where they look out of place. Yeah. And so I think that's probably more more to that. But it's a good question. Hit us up there at Bolts Radio. This one comes from Stan. He said, guys, how do you think Vlad Nemeskov has looked over the last couple of weeks? Well, the last couple of weeks has been more like the whole year, which is not great. I mean, he has struggled. Yeah, right. But I think the goal that he scored against Toronto helped. And he was more active last night, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say it's trending in the right direction. But, Dave, I, I think it's fair to say they expected a lot more production from Nemeskov at this point. Trending in the right direction yeah. is not something they, when you describe Nemeskov's game, is is what they were anticipating. Well, he needed he needed a boost of confidence. I think he got that with his goal. And, and at the risk of repeating myself, he was part of the one line in the first period that was yeah, generating scoring chances and, and giving the Lightning some looks. He's he was involved in that, even yeah, though he, he only finished the game with officially one shot on net. You know, he's got speed. He's got a little bit of skill. And, you know, when a player like that is struggling, you want to see them, I think, Dave, just go to the net. Create some con create some contact if you can. Just go to the net. Uh, it's easier said than done. Understood. But sometimes you can get a cheap goal that way. Maybe a deflection. And he's got hands that are good enough where, in tight, he might be able to help offensively. So we'll see. I, I think, is it fair to say when Rudy Balsers comes back, you know, there's, is everybody's place in the lineup at the forward position safe? I don't know. And I think Nemesikov certainly would be one of those guys where you have to think long and hard of what you have and who's playing well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when Balsers is coming back. I've got to think he's relatively close. Well, fair? I haven't seen him on the ice, so I mean, he's yeah. still recovering from his injury. Took a nasty tumble, didn't he? Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio, so maybe maybe he will be in the lineup a little longer, meaning Domestikov. Right. But I think there's there needs to be a little bit more urgency there, and you can define however you want to when it comes to that. Uh, this question comes from Stu. He wants to know why didn't Adam Ernie work? in tampa yeah that's a good question i think he had inconsistency to his game and he'd have some like he had some pretty memorable games where you know he scored some goals there was a game against montreal i can't we always play we always play montreal up. right after christmas i think he had a couple of goals in that he game did. including one late one was in the right circle and i, yeah. I remember because i thought it was one of the best shots i've seen recently where he wasn't really moving it was all wrist and he yeah. went top shelf and it was like okay i remember adam ernie for that dave and then fighting barkley goodrow and getting knocked out when he was with detroit when he was with detroit yes yeah i think he's found more consistency to consistency to his game but he's not going to be a 30 goal guy no he might or not even be maybe a 20 guy. 20 goal guy yeah but he is going to slot in i think as a bottom six winger who is fairly, like, he's grown into this role, fairly responsible defensively, pretty smart player, and he'll chip in. He was a second-round pick, right? He was a second-round pick. Yeah, I mean, that a was... A high second-round pick. high second-round pick. I remember the buzz. It was He was the know, Druin draft. It was 2013. Yes. Druin went third overall. Right. And therefore, Ernie, I'm guessing, if I, I'm remembering correctly, went third in the second round. Yeah. Power forward, I think, is what they envisioned. 
yeah with some hands it just it never materialized but a lot of guys are like that i think he has established himself perhaps as an nhler and maybe dave when we take a look at the history of drafting in the second round or beyond the first round uh, getting an nhler in the second third fourth fifth and later rounds is a win Mm -hmm. for an organization it's an interesting question though because like let's say you get a guy in the first or second round and the expectation is that as a first or second round pick, that player is going to be something, something right. that you envision. Let's say that player doesn't turn into that something. Does he still have a future in your organization? Or does he almost need a fresh start to come to a new place where the expectations are different? And maybe that's a good analogy for Ernie. That maybe the Lightning yeah. felt that this, is, this guy is a second round pick and he's not really playing the way we envisioned him playing as a second round pick so we're going to move on and detroit gets him they're like all right we don't care that he was the second round pick we're going to basing this on what he's done so far as nhl career and let's see if we can improve him brett Connolly was kind of the same way like Connolly's yeah. best Good year point. was i mean maybe it wasn't his best year but to me his most memorable year was the year he was the third line right winger on the capitals when they won the stanley cup he was very effective as the third-line right-winger on that team, not as a guy who was taken sixth overall in the draft. Right. He's an NHL would a guy player. You took, would, you, would a guy that you took sixth overall in the draft, would you envision that player being a third-line right-winger? No. Probably not. No, and I think... But a couple of stops after the Lightning... right. That's where he settled in. He went from the Lightning to the Bruins to the Capitals, and it was there that he found his niche. I think change of scenery is right with players like that. I think you could probably put Alex Barry Boulay in that category too. You know, Barry Boulay comes up. Yeah. And is he a top Undrafted, six? though. Undrafted, I think his pedigree sure. is more about what he's done in the American Hockey League. And can Correct. he translate that to the NHL? And at this point, the answer has been no. But I'm wondering if it. his pedigree with what he has done professionally, is it, are there expectations more from him than from Adam Ernie, who was a second round pick at this point? I don't know. What I do know is with Barry Boulay, and I think Ernie probably found this category, you always hear the, the take that, well, if, if they're supposed to be scoring wingers or scoring centermen, you want those guys basically in a top six role. But for the Lightning, Dave, you're not really going to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. So how well do you adjust playing on a third and fourth line? And I think most guys who are drafted in the first round outside of the really elite struggle with that transition. Because I think the expectations are you're going to come in and score. And when that doesn't happen right away, there are some confidence issues. Then you start getting juggled around in the lineup and i think that can be challenging for a younger player and i think for ernie to his credit did a good job of making himself an nhl player yeah but i think at this point that's probably the ceiling nothing wrong with that no you can you can win games having adam ernie as your third or fourth yeah i think player. detroit because you had nothing asked wrong. me earlier this year where's ernie is he in detroit and honestly i hadn't really looked at their roster i'm like i think yeah. he is he played every game He's yeah, been a regular credit, he's on their around. team. He had some injury issues too early in his career. I remember one year that he was in the minors 
he started his career, his pro career, playing in Syracuse. He missed most of that year due to injury, and that can that can affect your development a little bit too. But I think he settled into the player that he's going to be as an NHLer, and that fits in with what yeah. Detroit wants. Hundred percent agree at Bolts Radio. Get involved. If you'd like, Chris Cran was saying the mood in the locker room last night was a lot of frustration and disappointment sure. with the performance in the first period. And I know Braden Point was asked that question. We played it on the postgame show. And uh, I have a feeling that will get the team's attention and we'll see if if they respond well, which I think they will against Nashville. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the games against Nashville are always interesting. A little chippy. There's Yeah. Might you know, get Brian Elliott team. start. Yeah, I mean, be. you figure these games coming up, you figure Vassy's going to get the Florida game on Saturday afternoon, right? You would think. You would figure that. So at some point, Elliott's going to be playing here. Would they hold him until Seattle or Columbus and just I think have the Vassy way... play again the next two? Yeah, I mean, I think Vassy was sharp last night. So unless you felt like right. there were some goals. It would be more about Elliott to make sure Correct. that he's getting Correct. in a game. His last game was, what, the game at Buffalo on the road trip, which was How many you give up a week game? ago Monday. Yeah, he gave up, what, five that game. Yeah. Well, anyone six five in overtime. Yeah. We thought he played okay, actually. It wasn't, yeah, it was one he of did those play games okay. Where, you know, it was one of those situations where they just gave up some scoring chances. So we'll see. Uh, I, I would expect the Lightning to have a better performance tomorrow. And, you know, sometimes games like the one last night, it catches your attention. And we'll see the Lightning adjust. But this is this is why we don't really, I think, panic a little bit 25, 26 games in. Well, if you'd lost four in a row, let's say last night's game was their fourth straight regulation loss or even their third straight regulation loss, then you're like, hmm, that was, a, that was not ideal. They've right. lost one in regulation here consecutively. Yep. So it, it adds significance to them bouncing back, which they've been able to do. After they've lost games, they've tended to come back, and not just this year, past years as well, they've tended to come back pretty well in the next game and, and found a response. Get those questions. Keep them coming in at Bolts Radio. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Lenelli. We'll take a break. We'll come back, take more of your tweets, and uh, we'll get into the game a little bit more. Maybe take a look around the National Hockey League as well. And uh, if you want to, we can take a look at the standings because I know a lot of people like to do that (laughs) as well. We'll do that when we return. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lenelli. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. You're listening to Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Michigan and Greg Lenelli. All right, we're back. Greg Lanelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Michigan. You know what was interesting? Yesterday, I mean, the whole year is being dedicated to the 30th anniversary of the Lightning getting a franchise. But yes, big deal last night, right? I mean, it was this date mm-hmm. back in 90, you know? And I, I think it, it probably makes some sense to reflect on Phil Esposito and how he was able to get the team partner. It's, ama- it's a pretty in- incredible story. How he was able to do that. And, you know, I said in my open last night, when you take a look at how long they've been in the National Hockey League, three Stanley Cups, mm-hmm. you know, they've had some down years for sure. We know them quite well. But collectively, uh, especially over the last 10 years, I'm not sure there's a better franchise in the league who has been able to win and churn out star players and yep. all that fun stuff. But, I mean, it, it started 30 years ago, and I'm not sure many people thought or envision the Lightning having as much success as they would have had up to this point. Well, look, every original six team has won a Stanley Cup. 
Toronto hasn't won one since 1967, as we know. But those six teams all have at least one Stanley Cup. They have multiple Stanley Cups. Yes. Then you look at the first expansion, six teams to 12 teams, 1967. Some of those teams are no longer in existence. But they had subsequent expansion, I think, in 1970. But you think of the teams that have come into the league around that time, and you're looking at 50 years, right? Thereabouts, 50 years mm-hmm. plus. How many cups have the Buffalo Sabres won? Zero. Yep. How many cups have the Vancouver Canucks won? Zero. How many cups have the St. Louis Blues won? One. And that came fairly recently. But they've been in the league. Those three teams, just off the top of my head, those three teams have been in the league way longer than the Lightning. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Lightning came in more than two decades after those teams. And they have three Stanley Cups in their back pocket. Yep. So it's not just that they won the three. They won the three in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, if you go back to back, that's going to help your cause, certainly. But it really is impressive what they've been able to do as a franchise. Because there are, there are fan bases that are still waiting for yep. a first Stanley Cup. That is pretty incredible when you think about it. And you think about the success they've had winning cups and like a franchise in the Toronto Maple Leafs where the history is is what it is but the Lightning right have been able to lift that Stanley Cup so in many ways very fortunate to experience this growth and it started with a vision and uh, Phil Esposito got it done good for him and then you got to do a lot of drafting and developing and making sure you have the right people in place and that takes some time partner doesn't it and sometimes you're hitting you get the right people in front, and you draft well. It's one of those situations, I think, when you have high draft picks, you've got to hit on them. And if you can hit on Hall of Famers, mm-hmm. that certainly expedites the process, doesn't it? You know. Yes, that's true. But I also think like getting a Hall of Famer is really important. I mean, when Lemieux arrived in Pittsburgh, the franchise completely turned around. I'm not just going to talk about the Penguins here, but this is the franchise that comes to mind right now. Bobby won't be offended. But when Crosby came to Pittsburgh, the franchise completely turned around a second time, right? Like, now he was surrounded. I mean, he had Malkin and he had Flurry. I mean, there were four years there in a row when the Penguins picked either first or second. And they hit on all four. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Stahl was in there too. Lemieux was more on an island and he came in and basically just turned their fortunes around within a couple of years. But it was a different game then also. Right. Look at what Gretzky did in Edmonton. Now, they came into the league, but he immediately elevated their team into a contender right off the bat. So it can be done, but I think hockey, as much as, as most other sports, when you compare hockey to other sports, is more about the the team aspect. Like, is your is your 20th guy your 18th guy? Or maybe are your players 14 through 18, if you're dressing 18, where are they relative to the other teams 14 through 18? Because 1 through 13 is terrific, but 14 through 18 is, is yeah. below the standard of your opposition's 14 through 18. In a playoff series, that might bleed through. So it's not just the top-end guys. It's the guys who round out your roster. Whereas in basketball, you know, you can isolate a guy 
you don't have to use everyone on your bench and the sport is just the way it's structured like the elite talent can be isolated it's harder to do that in hockey it's not impossible well, and they but can it's also harder to courts. do in hockey. You know, baseball, you can a have a time. dominant pitcher who can completely right. affect the outcome of the game. Maybe that's a little bit like a goaltender. But I just think hockey, you need you need depth as well as all-stars or Hall of Famers. But you're right. If you can hit on a Hall of Famer in the draft, it will help. It will definitely help. Well, you know, you think about this Lightning team and how many potential Hall of Famers are on this roster. I mean, there's there's a handful. And I think you're right, though, with basketball, not only are you isolating elite talent, but they could theoretically play the whole game if they wanted to. Yes, In hockey, theoretically. You're, not. you're just not. Because it's it's physically just a grind. You know, it's... Phil now, Gene Hackman me, would say in Hoosiers that it's not just <laughs> one guy, it's five. But those five are five right in yeah. hockey you're still looking at 18 you could have your your let's say seven or eight you could play a whole game with seven or eight players you could and maybe you have great ball movement and your defense requires everyone to to be in sync and that's part of it too but you can get good in basketball by adding just a handful of players well it's look harder at, look, to do in in hockey look at two examples in basketball LeBron James, when he was in Cleveland, never was able to get over the hump initially when you saw the talent around him. It wasn't great, but you had LeBron James. LeBron James could get you to a final. because he Not was over the good. hump, but Not over that, farther but got, than before yeah, he got there. Correct. Yeah. And Allen Iverson comes to mind, too. You know, Allen Iverson, his team lost in five to the Lakers, but that was a team of, of no-name players and a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And so you were able to get you were able to, to move along further than in another situation. But I, I, I do agree with you. I mean, just look at the lightning and why have they been able to win as much as they have recently is because they've they've had third and fourth lines that have been able to tilt the ice yes. in their favor. And in many ways I still think they're trying to figure out the right combinations. But I do think having a Sorelli back He's oh, yeah. To, he's been so good in these two games. He really has. Have you been surprised how good he's looked? Well, I think Stamko said when you come back from a long absence, sometimes the adrenaline carries you through the first game and then you exhale a little bit and you, and you dip and then you slowly work your way back up to your usual level. So I guess it, it wasn't shocking that Sorelli had a really strong debut, but he had a really good game yesterday, too. Like, he was one of the most consistent players the Lightning had. And maybe because his effort level is always, like, at a 10, that that can compensate for whatever readjustment period that you're going to need when you come back from a long absence. But I guess we'll see. You know, in the next couple of games, if his play dips a little bit, maybe that's part of, of this rehab process. I hope it doesn't, but we haven't seen it so far. No, we haven't. And... We'll see how it plays out at Bolts Radio. Hit us up on Twitter if you want to get involved in the conversation. This one comes from, let's see here, Sam. He wants to know, guys, do you think there's ever going to come a point in time where the team does break up the first line? Well, they did last night, right? <laughs> they did. Do I think that's going to be something that's permanent? Maybe I should... Look into that question a little. Yeah. A little bit well, more, I Sam. think they're going to go back to their usual line combinations 
for tomorrow's game. That's a guess on my part. I think that they're going to go back to – I mean, when he says the top lines, he's talking about Point, Kucherov, Hagel. Is that what he's talking about? I'm assuming that's what he means. I mean, yeah. I think we're going to see those lines back to the way they were. I think this was a, a move to kind of shock the system. But what do I know? I mean, I'm guessing about that. John Cooper's the head coach, and maybe he loved what he saw in the third period. He said, you know what, we're going to ride this a little bit. Maybe we're not going to get 30 shots in the first period against Nashville, but maybe we're going to spend most of the period in the offensive zone playing with these new lines. My my gut tells me, though, that he's going to go back to the combinations that we saw at the start of the game. Yeah, yesterday. I mean, I think that's fair. And I, I think those guys have warranted that opportunity to go back. Yeah. I mean, I, I think unless you get into a prolonged slump, I'm, I'm not sure it makes sense to – to shake things up as much as maybe Sam uh, you are indicating or maybe would like to see but yeah. I don't know I, I let's put it this way when you talk about the top six I don't think there's been a, a situation there where I've said ah I, I would switch things up and the only time we thought about that was when Sorelli did come back you know what was right. going to look like now Paul. on D they did switch up the pairings and that one we talked about this earlier in the show already I wouldn't be surprised if we see Hedman Pervix again. They're gonna they're gonna ride that and see what that looks like. But the one pair that was not mixed up last night was Cole Chernak. And they haven't played together like every shift, but they've been together more than they haven't since they put that pairing together. Right. I think they've been pretty happy with that. I think they've been pretty happy with Cole. In general, oh, yeah. I mean, is there has there been anybody he he has played with where he's looked out of place? I mean, I think I think you could probably put him with anyone. Yeah, I I don't think they have found a comfort level yet with their defense pairings. Well, Sergeyev and Bogosian, who went together as a pair last night when they made the change, they do have experience playing together. I guess the question is, like, if we're going to view that as kind of, I don't know, do you view that as the third pair? Do we even go pair one, pair two, pair three? Is there a top four? Because Sergeyev is going to play a lot. And you figure Bogosian is going to play less. But last night, Bogosian played over 15 minutes, and Sergeyev was over 20. And you take out Sergeyev's power play time. What's the even strength number? 1741... For Sergachev and fifteen thirteen for Bogosian. So I mean they were they right. were fairly close. I guess what I'm saying is you don't want Sergachev's minutes to go down five on five because he's playing with Bogosian if you feel that you don't want Bogosian playing upwards of like nineteen to twenty minutes a night. And maybe with, with power play taken out, you know, his his numbers are gonna be a little right. lower. And Sergachev's numbers will be higher because he's getting power play time. That would be the one point where you're like, all right, Sergi needs to play. And if we if we have him locked in with Bogosian on what we would call the third pair, is his minute total going to be affected? I don't know. But what might override all of that is the chemistry factor. Like Hedman and Ruda, there wasn't right. any issue there. Ruda played less than Hedman, but they played together a lot five on five and Hedman's ice time wasn't affected nor was Ruda's it's not like they asked Jan Ruda to play 22 minutes a night when he was playing with Victor Hedman load management I think especially with some of those guys like Bogosian 
and maybe to a lesser extent Perbix and Cole, I think you're right. If you play them 19, 20 minutes, are they as effective playing 15? Mm-hmm. What's interesting, partner, is I don't know if they have figured out who their top four defensemen are. I mean, and I we consider, need a label. I mean, yeah, are we not, going by know. minutes or are we going by pairing? And are we yeah, going by matchups? I mean, I think it's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we would look at it and say probably by minutes. But, like, if Nick Perbix is going to be with Victor Hedman, what does that say about Perbix? Yeah. Do you think you can handle those minutes? Is he going to be like a Jan Ruta? He plays some five-on-five five with Hedman, but you're going to see him bounce around a little bit because you want to monitor his minutes. Well, Perbix has fairly consistently this year, with rare exception, like sometimes you see him, he's got like 10-second shorthand. <laughs> he's at the end of a kill. He's out there. His numbers on special teams are basically zero. So he plays during five-on-five, five and that's it. So if that's the case, his minutes are are not going to be up in the high teens, low 20s, or even mid-20s, like some of the top defensemen, because he's not getting the special teams action. Right. And, you know, the difference is Ruta did play penalty kill. Now, that's probably going to come for Perbix, but, you know, as a first-year player in the NHL, I think they want him to just play his five-on-five shifts, and, and that'll be that. But we'll monitor that situation. I kind of go back to chemistry, though. Like, as long as you can get the guys out in the situations that you want them out in, talking about the defense, whether it's against the opposition's top line or important shifts, key face-offs, offensive zone, defensive zone, whatever the case, I think chemistry can override that, which is why we liked Cole and Hedman so much when Cole was on the right side, and we were like, all right, well, they have a lot of chemistry. Would they keep it together? As guys started coming back and getting healthy, they didn't. But now they have Chernak and Cole, and that seems to be a good pair. So who's going to play with Hedy? Well, Sergachev was there for a couple of games. They made the switch last night, and that Perbix slotted in well. Of course, the Lightning were dictating play for much of the time that Perbix was with Hedman, especially that third period, which made them look even even more active. I thought Hedy had a very active game last night, too. I mean, this may not be related at all to who his partner was, but even right. at the start of the game when Sergachev was his partner, I thought Victor was skating last night, which was good to see, and 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 being involved. Like, he had a little, a little fire in his belly last night, I think, in terms of how he was attacking the offensive zone. You know, what's interesting with him is, and I think this is a positive development for the Lightning, I, I still don't think he has played at an elite level for an extended period of time this year. And some of that could be... Some of that just could be finding a partner. I mean, you know, maybe we yeah. well, we talked about this. You know, Jan Roots are probably a little bit more important than we thought. But I think for Hedman, it's finding a comfort level. You know, elite players, Dave, like routine. They all do. And I think when you take a little bit of a routine away, and I'm not saying Hedman hasn't played with other defensemen, but, you know, when you have a mainstay with you for a couple of years and you do pretty well, and that's taken away, it's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. And Same with Chernak, I, right? Yeah, I, I think those are two guys, and again, I, I look at this as a positive, that have not found the same level of play this year as we are used to seeing in previous years. 
And I think that's a a positive sign. But also, we're how many games in, Dave? And I'm not sure they feel completely comfortable with who his defense pairing will be. Well, if we rewind to last week, we had a show... And it was after a game in which the Lightning dressed 7D. And you said, those 7D, they are the Lightning's top seven. At that point, we were still speculating about who would get moved off the NHL roster. Turned out it was Myers who went to the Miners, which we haven't really talked about that much. But the Lightning right now are down to eight, as Flurry presumably is, is healthy enough to practice. And you said... These are the top seven with Flurry. So it was before Flurry got hurt. Maybe it was the Boston right. game that you said that. Might have been. Yeah. And even if you take Flurry out and and the six that played last night are in your mind the six, if you recall, I said, Well, the second part of the question is who plays with whom? Yes. <laughs> and maybe sure. that is still a work in progress. But it's hard to argue that when the lightning are healthy that any of the six who played last night would be coming out of the lineup. I think that's fair. I, you know, and Perbix maybe Dave would have been the, the wild card because of his youth or just lack of experience at the NHL level, but he's, he's performed well. Yeah. He's acquitted himself very well. Yeah. And look, if he hits a wall and he struggles, then maybe that's something that they can tinker with. But I actually think Bogosians look good too. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. There could have been some talk that maybe he was your seventh defenseman, but I don't know. Bogosian coming in and playing the way he does, I, I like the edge he brings, and he's got a big shot. I mean, we know all the characteristics mm-hmm. he provides, but I, I think, I think he can settle things down back there. And when I what I mean by that, when the game does get chippy, it is nice to have somebody back there who can, yeah, who can take care of business. For a big man, and we said this when he arrived, for a big man, he can skate too. He can he move. Can get up and down the ice. He can move. You know, he is a. Um, he's got some tools. In that toolbox, mm-hmm. as they say. So, yeah, I think they're top six for me unless they go out and make a move. I feel I feel like they know who they have. Now the important question is who plays with who. And I think they're still trying to figure that out. But yeah, you know, that could take the whole year. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can. This one comes from James. He says, guys, enjoy your conversation here about chemistry and D pairings. What goes in to having good chemistry on the back end? Well, you know it when you see it, right? That's right. It's being in sync with your partner. So if your partner is an aggressive defenseman, knowing where you need to be to, to cover that defenseman. But I think it's just being in sync. And I know that's not really a satisfying answer. But... You you move as a pair to complement each other. You're making yourself available for your partner. If your partner is under pressure, you are helping your partner. If your partner has a little bit of a problem or if your partner is, is not having a problem and just being aggressive, like you know that you are providing support and your partner knows that too. Right. And that's why some defensemen can be a little trickier to play with, like a Victor Hedman. I was going to ask can you, be is a tricky... Hedman harder to play with? Well, I mean, that's set. why I think maybe I shouldn't say hard to play with, but why did Ruta spend so much time with him? Because they had chemistry as a pair. Even though when we look one through six, 
when the Lightning had Root in the lineup, and he didn't play a lot in the 2020 playoff run, but he did in 2021. So the six defensemen the Lightning had in the lineup in their 2021 playoff run, which included Jan Ruda. Yes. Would we say Ruda was the second defenseman behind Hedman? No, we wouldn't. But he played with Victor Hedman because they had chemistry. They did. More chemistry than maybe some other guys who came in. Remember David Savard when he came at the deadline? They tried him with Hedman, and it, it didn't work. Yeah. That doesn't mean that David Savard's a bad player or anything like that. I mean, clearly he's not a bad player. But well, you know, you know what's a good example of this is too is in pitching in baseball. Sometimes Greg Maddox had his own personal catcher. Yeah. Who could had a feel for the game, had, but oftentimes it was somebody who wasn't the starter. Right. You know, sometimes, I think to your point, you'd know it when you see it. And I think that's fair. And I, I, I don't think we've seen it completely yet. But the good news is there's there's room to grow. And um, we have all the confidence, I think, that Victor Hedman and the back end in general, you're going to start to see them have uh, games that are ascending, so to speak, than, mm-hmm. than descending. So we'll... Keep an eye on it. Remember what we said often about Hagel last year and why he took time to acclimate to the Lightning when he arrived at the deadline? He had hesitancy to his game. I think when you are missing some chemistry with your partner, you're not entirely certain whether to zig or zag. Right. And you might have some hesitancy to your game. D pairs that are completely in sync have no hesitancy to their game. That's correct. There's a There's a... A fluidity to how they work together. That's a, probably a more descriptive answer for was it James who had the question? It was James. I, I hope it that answers James. your question. It does, James. It does. Thank you, James, and everybody who chimed in today. This was fun, a lot of fun. All right, partner, we will uh, do this again tomorrow, and we're gonna get set for Lightning and Preds. Yep. And we'll see if the Lightning have a uh, a bounce back game tomorrow. But we'll talk about it noon to one. Thanks, sir. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. He's Dave Bishkin. I'm Greg Linnelli. Thanks to Steve Versnick for producing. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. You've been listening to Lightning Radio right here. It's Power Lunch.